Hello and welcome. This is Melissa Giles, Director of Portfolio Management with Americana Partners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'll be reviewing the August market commentary provided by David M. Darst, Chief Investment Officer with Americana Partners. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. The first section I'll be covering is called Where We Are. Please note that any charts or graphics referenced are available by request through our website. Let's begin. Because it was the time of several of his great military triumphs, including the conquest of Egypt, the month originally called Sextilis in Latin was renamed in 8 BC in honor of the first Roman emperor, Augustus, 63 BC to 14 AD. Originally named Gaius Octavius, he was officially renamed Augustus, meaning revered, venerable, consecrated by augury, or even favored by the gods, by the Roman Senate in 27 BC, reflecting the unrelenting patience, skill, and efficiency with which Augustus overhauled virtually every aspect of Roman life and brought durable peace and prosperity to the Greco-Roman world. Given the August positive 17.0 year-to-date gain in the S&P 500 index through the end of July, as shown in the chart provided in the original commentary, when the index advanced positive 2.3%, its sixth consecutive monthly advance, investors may do well to keep in mind that despite August's positive 7.2% total return in 2020, over the past 30 years, August has turned out to be the second worst-performing month, declining an average of negative 0.2% in total return over the 1991-2020 timeframe. Over the three decades from 1990 through 2019, August and September on average, not always, have generally produced lackluster returns for the S&P 500 index. Also worth noting is the past five months' sluggish performance of the Russell 2000 Index of small and mid-capitalization companies. After significantly outperforming the S&P 500 index in January and February, the Russell 2000 index has not matched the S&P 500 index in any month since, and actually retreated negative 3.6% in July. The multi-month lackluster performance of the Russell 2000 index may be ascribed to a puzzling, often internally contradictory, gallimaufry of factors, including, among them, one, an increased concentration of mainstream institutional and individual investors' interest in the heavyweight Big Five Atlas or Hercules stocks, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Alphabet Google. Two, continued focus by social media and discussion forum-based millennials on meme stocks and short-dated call options buying. Three, expectations of profit margin pressures owing to the fact that higher input and labor costs may not be able to be easily passed on by Russell 2000-type firms in the form of price increases. Four, assumptions that rising interest rates, if they occur, would chiefly hurt small and mid-cap companies who borrow money since they tend not to be as flush with cash and liquidity as the much larger enterprises and five, especially when viewed in conjunction with the meaningful declines in 10- and 30-year U.S. Treasury yields, perhaps a message is being sent about the possibility of a larger-than-generally-accepted deceleration in economic activity in 2022. Speaking of mystifying, it would not be unduly exaggerating to observe that the course of intermediate and long-term U.S. Treasury yields over the past two months has wrong-footed a significant number of investors and market commentators. After rising 11 basis points in June, 
to finish the month at 0.25%. Two-year U.S. Treasury yields declined six basis points to close at 0.19% on July 30th. More surprisingly, to many market participants, after declining 13 basis points in June to end the month at 1.45%. 10-year U.S. Treasury yields declined another 21 basis points to close at 1.24% on July 30th, and equally baffling after declining 20 basis points in June to wind up the month at 2.06%. 30-year U.S. Treasury yields declined a further 17 basis points to close at 1.89% on July 30th. During July, following the course of declining U.S. Treasury yields, the U.S. dollar retreated negative 0.4% versus the DXY index comprised of six major currencies, euro, Japanese yen, British pound, Canadian dollar, Swiss franc, and Swedish krona. On June 30th, the DXY index was 92.44, and on July 30th, the index closed at 92.09. Over the course of the month, West Texas intermediate crude oil prices rose positive 0.7% from $73.47 per barrel on June 30th to $73.95 per barrel on July 30th. With the global economy and global oil demand continuing to gradually recover from the effects of the coronavirus pandemic on the supply side, one, Facing pressures from investors to moderate growth and address their emissions amid concerns about increasing regulations and climate change, large U.S. and European oil companies continue to spend sparingly to boost production despite higher prices. Two, consolidating U.S. shale producers have exercised financial probity and exerted capital spending discipline. And three, following the 19th OPEC and non-OPEC ministerial meeting in mid-July, and a post-meeting ratification of new output quotas for selected countries, the group, which includes Saudi Arabia, Russia, the United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, Iraq, and other countries, agreed to increase output by a further 0.4 million barrels per day per month from August until December 2021, aiming to fully phase out production cuts by September 2022. Now let's discuss worrisome developments. Possible earlier-than-expected moves toward monetary policy tightening. Respondents to a Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey expect the Federal Reserve to begin hiking interest rates in the second half of 2022 or the first half of 2023. In addition, numerous major global central banks besides the Fed appear committed to reducing stimulus. The European Central Bank, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of Canada, and the Reserve Bank of Australia. In late July and early August media interviews, St. Louis Federal Reserve President James Bullard, Fed Governor Christopher Waller, and Fed Vice Chair Richard Clarida, among several other senior Fed officials, have begun to outline in greater detail their thinking about a path toward more timely withdrawal of monetary policy support, including 1. The commencement of trimming the Fed's $120 billion in monthly quantitative easing money printing to purchase U.S. Treasury and mortgage-backed securities. 2. Reducing this quantitative easing rate to zero sometime in early 2022. And 3. Expressions of additional readiness to raise interest rates earlier than anticipated if inflation threatens to remain too high for too long. The Delta Variant of COVID-19 The share of all residents in each of the 50 states who have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19 as of July 4th ranges from 29.89% in Mississippi to 65.98% in Vermont. In recent weeks, the Delta variant of COVID-19 has gained momentum. 
with the most rapid rates of increase among the unvaccinated. The Delta variant is twice as transmissible as the Alpha variant first recorded in England, which itself was 40% more infectious than earlier forms of the virus first detected in China. While the Delta mutant of COVID-19 remains reason for caution, its likely impact on economic reopening and recovery needs to take into account the low numbers of hospitalizations and fatalities compared with infections. For the week ended July 30th, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that the seven-day moving average for new cases reached 66,606, more than quadrupled the June 19th weekly figure and up positive 64.1% versus the prior week. According to the World Health Organization, global infections have surged to an average of 540,000 a day and an average of almost 70,000 weekly deaths. Although highly unlikely to lead to anything approximating the severity of closures and lockdowns experienced during the height of the pandemic in 2020, the Delta variant, and possible additional variants, as the coronavirus third wave may create fertile breeding grounds for more infectious and potentially vaccine-resistant new variants, has affected consumer, worker, teacher, student, and parental psychology and behavior thereby leading to a resurgence in hesitancy to engage in activities considered to be high-risk, such as dining out, visiting shopping malls, working out in gyms, and attending entertainment and sporting events, thereby slowing the trajectory of recovery and economic restoration. It is worth keeping in mind that nearly 80% of Americans over the age of 65, those at highest risk, and 60% of all adults are fully vaccinated. In fact, a silver lining in the summer 2021 COVID-19 surge may be an intensified impetus toward even higher levels of vaccination, which would hasten the country's progress toward a more complete economic recovery. Uncertain course of inflation. In June, the core, excluding food and energy prices, personal consumption expenditures price index, the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, rose positive 0.7% month over month and positive 3.5% year over year. The core consumer price index rose positive 0.9% month over month and positive 4.5% year over year, the highest rate of growth in 13 years. And the core producer price index rose positive 1.0% month over month and positive 5.6% year over year, with the headline producer price index up positive 1.0% month over month and positive 7.3% year over year, its fastest rise since November 2010 partly due to ongoing supply chain disruptions, logistics cost pressures, and shortages of labor in certain sectors, inflation for the time being appears to be somewhat more enduring than previously anticipated. In our opinion, inflation in fact may not turn out to be so transitory, and while the U.S. economy is unlikely to return to the very high inflation rates of the late 1970s, at the same time, to us it appears unlikely that consumer prices will return to the 2% and below rates of price change prevailing in the years immediately preceding the coronavirus pandemic. Broadening evidence of elevated investor bullishness. During the first half of 2021, annualized equity inflows were greater than the cumulative amount of equity inflows in the entire preceding 20 years. Data stretching back to 1951 from Ned Davis Research show that American households had nearly 60% of their portfolios allocated to equities at the end of March 2021, a figure just below the all-time high of 61.7%, reached during the dot-com bubble of the late 1990s. 
According to Charles Schwab Corporation, when households' equity allocations have risen to 54.6% or higher, the average annualized return for the S&P 500 over the next 10 years has been only positive 4.1% as compared to the positive 10.3% return the S&P 500 has averaged since 1965. Taxes' Potential Impact on Economic and Financial Activity Although the finer details of any additional corporate, personal, estate, and capital gains tax changes to pay for some portion of the various infrastructure initiatives are as yet unspecified, when they do become clearer, they are likely to influence securities prices and financial market conditions, as shown in the chart provided in the original commentary, which depicts the price return of the S&P 500 index six months before and six months after capital gains taxes were increased. By far, the six months before capital gains are increased represent the periods of most risk to equities prices. Taking an average of the 1975 to 1976, 1986 to 1987, and 2012 to 2013 equity market reactions to episodes of capital gains tax increases, the S&P 500 index declined negative 1.3% in the six months before capital gains taxes were increased and gained positive 17.9% in the six months after capital gains taxes were increased. China's authorities exercising increased control. Since November 2020, Chinese regulators have taken more than 50 actual or reported actions in sectors including ride-hailing, food delivery, for-profit tutoring, streaming, and online gaming aimed at realigning the relationship between private business and the state. From a peak in February 2021 through August 5th, more than $1 trillion in aggregate market value declines have occurred in the six largest Chinese technology companies due to regulatory edicts relating to issues including variable interest entities, the precarious legal structure underpinning many of China's largest equity listings in the U.S., monopolistic behavior, financial stability, and data security. Such intensified regulatory assertiveness has increased equity market volatility and heightened risk awareness in China and globally. Reduced affordability of shelter against a backdrop of historically low mortgage interest rates reduced housing inventory levels, and the broadest global house price boom in 20 years, the rising price of housing for homeowners and renters has raised U.S. policymakers concerned about affordability. According to July data from the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Index, national house prices in May were positive 16.6% year-over-year, up from positive 14.8% in April, the largest rate of gain in more than three decades. Now let's discuss constructive developments. Currently reasonable expectations of near-term monetary policy. The Federal Open Market Committee, FOMC, statement and the Fed Chair Jerome Powell's press conference following the FOMC meeting on July 27th through 28th have for the moment confirmed financial market participants generally expected tapering timeline of 1. Announcement in August or September of the tapering schedule. 2. Commencement of tapering beginning in December 2021 or January 2022, and 3. Initial tapering likely projected at $10 billion per month in U.S. Treasury securities and $5 billion per month in mortgage-backed securities. Fed Chair Powell's acknowledgement of higher inflation and admission that inflation may very well persist longer than initially expected implies that, at least for now, the Federal Reserve continues to allow inflation to run above target and actively seeks to escape a Japanese-style deflationary mire by promoting longer-term inflation. 
positive corporate profit results and sanguine forward guidance. During the 2021 second calendar quarter earnings reporting season, even as Apple's profits guidance was deemed somewhat disappointing by investors, mega-cap tech companies Microsoft and Alphabet Google reported very positive earnings. Equally significant has been the broadly positive revenue and earnings commentary and forward outlook from reopening sectors including airlines, credit card companies, restaurants, and numerous other industry groups leveraged the economic recovery and reopening. As of August 6th, according to FactSet, securities analysts were carrying the following forecasts for S&P 500 revenues and earnings, respectively. First quarter 2021, positive 10.9% and positive 52.5%. Second quarter 2021, positive 24.7% and positive 88.8%. Third quarter 2021, positive 14.4% and positive 28.0%. Fourth quarter 2021, positive 11.0% and positive 21.4%. For the full 2021 calendar year, positive 14.3% and positive 41.6%. For the full 2022 calendar year, positive 6.5% and positive 9.5%. Quickening pace of labor market gains. Following net employment gains of positive 614,000 jobs in May and positive 930,000 jobs in June, the U.S. economy added positive 943,000 jobs in July, with the unemployment rate declining negative 0.5 percentage points to 5.4%. The July U6 unemployment rate a measure of all unemployed marginally attached, and part-time for economic reasons, individuals as a percent of the civilian labor force plus all marginally attached workers, reached 9.2% in July, down 0.9 percentage points from 10.1% in June, and average hourly earnings increased positive 0.4% month-over-month in July and positive 4.0% year-over-year. The aggregate payrolls index comprised of the average work week, changes in employment, and wage growth gained positive 1.0% in June, positive 0.9% in July, and on a year-to-date basis is rising at a positive 9.6% annualized rate. Even though the U.S. economy remains a total of 5.7 million jobs below the pre-pandemic levels of February 2020, employment rolls have added positive 16.7 million jobs since the employment low point reached in April of last year. Healthy U.S. economic growth. Even though some mild hints of a reduction of economic momentum have surfaced in some quarters of the economy, our view remains that the strong economic activity continues to be supportive of risk assets including equities, commodities, private equity, and real estate. The July ISM Services Index reached an all-time record high of 64.1 versus 60.1 in June, and the July ISM Manufacturing Index registered a still quite strong 59.5 versus 60.6 in July. In its June 16 Summary of Economic Projections report, the Federal Reserve was carrying the following median economic projections for U.S. real GDP. 2020 actual, negative 3.5%. 2021 estimated positive 7.0%. 2022 estimated positive 3.3%, 2023 estimated positive 2.4%, longer run positive 1.8%, and following first quarter 2021 GDP growth of positive 6.3% annualized. The second quarter 2021 advance report of GDP issued on Thursday, July 29th, 
with a revised report to be released on Thursday, August 26th, and the final report released on Thursday, September 30th, came in at positive 6.5%, with the Atlanta Fed GDP Now estimate as of August 6th of third quarter 2021 GDP growth at positive 6.0%. It is, at the same time, worth keeping in mind that the global economy is likely to experience GDP deceleration of varying magnitude in 2022 and beyond as economic growth slows down from its recovery velocity to a steadier state. Significant Excess Savings The excess dollar saved above the average monthly savings from January 2017 through February 2020 has reached $2.6 trillion as of the end of May 2021, representing significant liquidity available to be deployed into spending and investing in the present era of ultra-low and even negative interest rates. Now let's discuss portfolio positioning. Portfolio positioning strategies. In the current moderately slowing yet still robust economic expansion and softer yields environment, we believe that careful thought, planning, and attention needs to be devoted to the investor's most appropriate forms and vehicles for implementing the fundamental elements of asset allocation and investment strategy, which include 1. Diversification. While it doesn't guarantee a profit or insure against a loss, diversification means having sustainably low and negatively correlated investment exposures that truly counterbalance price movements in other assets, particularly during times of great financial stress and or market volatility. 2. Rebalancing, which encompasses using concepts of reversion to the mean to trim exposures to assets that have grown to represent too large a portion of the overall portfolio while at the same time, adding exposure to high-quality assets that have fallen out of investor favor and suffered significant, though deemed not permanent, price declines versus intrinsic value. 3. Risk management, which involves recognizing when markets have become consumed by meme securities, momentum plays, story stocks, and information overload, a situation that has pertained in recent months to more than a few companies in the technology space and understanding the degree of liquidity, the true pricing realism, and the appropriate roles of short-term liquid securities, real assets, financial assets, and alternative assets in decades-long or longer regimes of inflation, stagflation, deflation, monetary disruptions, and currency resets. 4. Reinvestment, which encompasses knowing when to emphasize and trade off income versus capital growth, all the while keeping in mind the critical importance of discipline, equanimity, patience, tax awareness, and longevity in capturing and compounding dividend, coupon, rental, and other income flows. And 5. Asset protection and husbandry, which encompasses considerations of income and capital gains taxation at the state, local, federal, and possibly international level, estate planning, relevant insurance design and structuring, cybersecurity shielding, portfolio monitoring and reporting, administrative costs, forms, frequency, and means of access and custody. Portfolio Positioning Principles We continue to allocate to a considered and considerable exposure to equities, with judicious shifts between style sectors and geographies. And, where appropriate from a cost-timing tax liquidity and size standpoint, public versus private markets, expressed are a number of themes that we believe should be taken into consideration over the next few years in selecting asset categories, Asset Classes, Asset Managers, Sectors, Companies, and Security Types 1. Paying attention to the value of money. Taking advantage of, rather than being taken advantage of by, 
the likelihood of money printing, internal and external currency debasement, government debt monetization, and the modern monetary theory approach that to some degree in the pandemic response era has been pursued by the authorities, within shifting money and credit cycles to service America's massive explicit government and corporate indebtedness and the enormous implicit obligations of pension and healthcare promises. Two, concentrating on all weather sectors and companies, seeking investments with balance and flexibility that are able to thrive regardless of which political persuasion informs the thinking and policies of the White House, Congress, and the regulatory authorities, evolving environmental, social, and governance priorities and values, wealth distribution initiatives and public health conditions, and wider socioeconomic trends. 3. Distinguishing between temporary and permanent change, focusing on the commercial and financial implications of new social and political power structures, alliances, and geopolitical relationships, new energy sources and resources, new trade patterns, new on- and offshoring channels, new work-from-home and work-from-anywhere employment modalities, and new business models, pathways, digitalizations, and forms of person-to-person and business-to-business work, leisure, learning, and wellness activity. 4. Taking advantage of demographic tailwinds. Through U.S. and select non-U.S. companies, gaining exposure to and meeting the rising needs, aspirations, and spending power of the rapidly expanding global middle class, especially in Asia. 5. Comprehending and verifying past success. Emphasizing companies and sectors that have demonstrated successful track records and past experience in capital allocation, balance sheet strength, risk management, sustainably defendable business models, and the ability to generate and sustain high multi-year returns on equity derived from revenue growth and favorable margin preservation rather than through overly high levels of leverage, meaningfully above the company's and sector's weighted average cost of capital and six. Identifying innovative and disruptive technology hegemons, focusing on technology enablers, disruptors, and dominators in biotechnology, diagnostics, and therapeutics based on CRISPR, clustered, regularly interspaced, short palindromic repeats, weight management and well-being, public health, medical nutrition, regenerative medicine, artificial intelligence, data analytics, machine learning, 5G cellular network technology, the Internet of Things, infrastructure, robotics, retraining, quantum computing, battery inventions, alternative energy, electric vehicles, and cybersecurity, while not least, also taking account of the environmental, social, and governance, ESG characteristics of companies in these and other fields. Portfolio Positioning Tactics 1. Keeping Things in Perspective Many of the overarching themes and conditions that influence our intermediate and long-term asset allocation and investment strategy emphasize the need to recognize that the concepts and implementation methods intended to achieve safety, balance, purchasing power protection, diversification, and liquidity are likely to face evolving and sometimes rapidly shifting taxation regimes, social priorities, geopolitical power relationships, price level changes, demographic trends, indebtedness levels, technological penetration and usage, and importantly, perceptions of the definition, role, degree of physicality, embodiment, and value of money itself. 2. Flexibility versus conviction in formulating investment thinking. In seeking to determine when to adhere to and when to lean against prevailing consensus views, sometimes pejoratively referred to as groupthink, it is important to critically question the soundness and durability of the reasoning and assumptions underlying a given investment framework and positioning at any point in time.
While it may not make sense to hold out of consensus views just for the sake of doing so, often expressed as fighting the tape, at other times, especially at major cyclical or secular turning points, at a major asset top, when reality is finally found to fall short of prevailing overly optimistic expectations, or major asset bottom, when reality is shown to be worth considerably more than prevailingly overly pessimistic expectations, the rewards of implementing a contrarian stance can be quite meaningful. 3. Enhancing and preserving. While we confess to a continuing degree of unease over recent manifestations of investor exuberance and the popularity of certain stocks and sectors considered to be forever holdings, our short-term inclination at this juncture is to take note of the Federal Reserve's marginally less emphatic support of financial asset prices while taking advantage of such strength to continue the course of upgrading positions. Offloading lower quality, higher risk assets and with timing and price discipline, adding to attractively priced, higher quality assets on equity market pullbacks. It is worth keeping in mind that the average year sees three separate, negative 5% or more pullbacks for the S&P 500, with not a single one transpiring yet in 2021, and no negative 10% correction since March 2020. In view of our expectation of increased volatility in the remainder of 2021, prudence counsels being vigilantly aware of the increasingly narrowing market breadth and taking advantage of such retrenchments before committing significant amounts. 4. Equity emphases and de-emphases. Particularly in the current conditions of historically low U.S. Treasury interest rates and given the likely focused areas of government spending initiatives, to us it appears likely that cash-generating, financially stable companies with robust growth prospects, which are able to operate and thrive in the digital sphere as they continue to enhance their business models, deserve to retain some degree of valuation premium. Within equities, one, we recommend continuing to gradually shift emphasis from growth sectors, companies, and managers towards the inclusion of select value sectors, companies, and managers. Two, we continue to counsel selectively adding small and mid-cap companies or investment managers specializing in and with good track records in this space to our primary yet gradually lessening emphasis on large capitalization enterprises and three, for the time being, while we continue to prefer a tactical overweighting to U.S. domestic equities, with any pullbacks currently viewed as an opportunity to judiciously add equities, particularly those sectors and companies likely to benefit from an economic recovery, while we also espouse building higher allocations to our small positions in emerging market equities and developed international markets. Five, focus on strength and quality. Our long-term equity portfolio weightings continue to emphasize asset managers, sectors, and specific companies that can benefit from the major sustained trends of the 2020 decade, including 1. Incremental growth in a wide range of economic circumstances. 2. A focus on economic repair, digitalization, e-commerce, personal wellness, safety, domesticity, home improvement, infrastructure spending, and sustainable consumer demand. And 3. Advantageous capture of benefits from onshoring, supply chain redesign, and deglobalization as important drivers of capital spending and disruptive innovation. At the company level in equities, we emphasize identifying and building long-term exposure to firms possessing fortress-like, cash-rich balance sheets. Prudence in balance sheet utilization, limited debt, consistency, and durability of positive free cash flow generation, dividend strength, and competitive business models with sustainable, competitive advantages, high barriers to entry, low threat of substitute products, and viable purchasing power vis-a-vis suppliers and or customers that, over a long time frame, can generate high returns on equity.
At the current time, we recommend that consideration be given to top quality companies in the healthcare consumer staples and financial sectors. Six, balancing growth and value sectors. Through Friday, July 30th, the Russell 1000 Growth Index, including companies in sectors such as technology, healthcare, and communication services, had, according to the Wall Street Journal, returned positive 16.4% year-to-date. While the Russell 1000 Value Index, including companies in sectors such as financial, real estate, energy, utility, and industrial businesses, had, according to the Wall Street Journal, returned positive 17.0% year-to-date. This 0.6 percentage point value minus growth returns differential appears to argue for some degree of balanced exposure in selected growth sectors, companies, and managers, as well as selected value sectors, companies, and managers. As this process continues, it is worth keeping in mind that true value investing represents identifying assets that are trading for less than they are actually worth, not assets that are merely inexpensive. Many superficially inexpensive assets may very well be inexpensive for a reason, and can very well remain so or deteriorate further. 7. Fixed Income Securities Bond prices persist at elevated price levels. With ultra-low yields across the maturity spectrum, even though yields have declined in the past two months, they have risen somewhat since year-end 2020, with according to Bloomberg in mid-July an extraordinary total of $16.5 trillion up from $12 trillion in May in global negative yielding sovereign and some corporate debt outstanding. We affirm our preference for issuers at the high-quality end of the rating spectrum, both in taxable investment-grade in high-yield bonds and in tax-exempt bonds where we continue to see some pockets of value on a taxable-equivalent basis. We see fixed-income securities as continuing to be subject to price risk due to our expectation of somewhat higher yields in the second half of 2021, and thus we prefer maturities and durations along the short to intermediate portion of the yield curve spectrum. 8. U.S. Dollar Outlook. After declining negative 9.9% in 2017, appreciating positive 4.4% in 2018, marginally gaining 0.4% in 2019, and declining negative 3.4% in 2020, the DXY U.S. Dollar Index measured versus a basket of six major currencies, the Euro, Japanese Yen, Swedish Krona, British Pound, Canadian Dollar, and Swiss Franc, had, as of the market close on July 30th, appreciated positive 2.4% year-to-date in 2021. Over the next few quarters, we believe the U.S. dollar may begin to trace a gradual path of weakness as, due primarily to the U.S. trade deficit cycle, as global investors become increasingly aware of the magnitude of the U.S. current account, payments deficit, and not least, the massive fiscal 2020 and 2021 federal government budget deficits. 9. Alternative Investments in Real Assets in alternative investments, we continue our multi-quarter focus that has for some time emphasized exposure to 1. Commodities and real asset sectors of the economy including industrial metals, agriculture, and materials. 2. Gold and or gold mining ETF shares, particularly the miners with reserves in stable geographic locations, capital discipline, and cash flow growth. As of January 21st, according to Sprott Asset Management, the NYSE ARCA Gold Miners Index traded versus an enterprise value to earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization ratio of 7.81 times compared to the equal-weighted S&P 500's ratio of 16.76 times, the widest spread in 10 years. 3. High-quality master limited partnerships with strong business models and sustainable dividend-paying capacity. 4. Select investments in private credit and private real estate. 5. And opportunistic strategies that are positioned 
to selectively derive meaningful value from the dislocations created by the coronavirus pandemic and the economic and profits recovery that we expect in the year ahead. This concludes our August market commentary by David M. Darst. David is Americana Partners Chief Investment Officer. We are available to answer questions you may have regarding the topics discussed. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. Thank you for listening. This is Melissa Giles, Director of Portfolio Management with Americana Partners. Stay invested.